Well, good morning and welcome to the Mission Viejo Church of Christ. Whether you're here with us live or you are in our live stream audience, we are so thankful that you chose to spend your Sunday morning here with us. And before we get started, a very special shout out this morning to my nephews, Ryan and Riley, who are watching from Illinois. It's about 20 degrees there, so hopefully they are staying warm as we enjoy this beautiful, sunny Super Bowl Sunday here in Southern California. So I know there's a big game today, and I know that you guys are itching to get home and to get the TV on and to start eating all that good food and rooting for your favorite team. Um, but we also have something else exciting happening today, and that's that we are starting a brand new series on the book of Nehemiah. Um, now, you may not be very familiar with the book of Nehemiah. It's one that kind of tends to get skipped over sometimes in the Old Testament just because of its, its placement in the canon. It's really easy just to go right past the book of Nehemiah, but I think there's some really great stuff in the book of Nehemiah that I don't want you to miss. So we are going to spend the next several weeks just unpacking the book of Nehemiah. Now, the cool thing about Nehemiah is Nehemiah is all about rebuilding and revival and renewal. And I don't know about you guys, but I could use a little bit of that right now in my life as well. And I'm sure you guys all probably could as well. So we are going to spend some time just unpacking this book. It's going to be more of an exegetical study where we're going to kind of go chapter by chapter, look at each of these stories, and more importantly, pick out what we can learn from these stories and what we can apply to our daily lives, because that's what the Bible is all about. It's a tool that we can use to have a better relationship with Jesus Christ, and we can use to learn from both the good things and the bad things that happened in the Bible so that hopefully we don't make those same mistakes. So I'm excited about this study. I hope that you guys will be excited about this study. And let's, let's dive in right now. And Brandon, can you get me the clicker, please? Wherever he went. <laughs> All right, so right now we are in this strange place in time. And I don't know about you guys, I am in my late 40s-ish. Um, I can't remember a time personally, in my lifetime anyway, that we have been more divided as a country. And it seems like every time we start to move past one thing that divides us, something else comes up and we find another thing to be divided about. Uh, you know, we had the election season where we were very divided over who our next president should be. We, we've got this pandemic that we've been in the midst of for a year now at least. So we've got the, you know, the maskers and the anti-maskers. And just as all that seemed to settle down, now we've got the vaccine coming along and we've got the, the people who are for the vaccine and the people that uh, have no desire to get the vaccine. So, so we're just in a time of division, a difficult time for a lot of people, and it just makes things a little bit more challenging. So we're, we're divided. Now today, today's Super Bowl Sunday, right? So we're divided between the, those rooting for Tom Brady and those rooting against Tom Brady, right? I think that's how that goes. Um, so today should be interesting as well. I'm just going to throw it out there. Go Chiefs. I'm rooting for Patrick Mahomes over Tom Brady. Um, but that's just my two cents. Um, but, but we're divided. And we're, we're fine. It seems like we find something new almost every few weeks to be divided about or to choose sides about. And the book of Nehemiah is all about how do we come back together and work together to rebuild and to revitalize. And not only do we need to rebuild and revitalize ourselves, right, because it starts with us, but we need to rebuild and revitalize our nation. We need to rebuild and revitalize our church. 
and we need to re- revitalize everything. So it's time to rebuild, and that's what the book of Nehemiah is all about. And today is going to kind of be our, our, our first lesson, and if you're familiar with the book, you know that chapter one kind of sets the scene, right, for the rest of the book of Nehemiah. It kind of gives us the, the background of what exactly is going on, and then we move into this, this amazing prayer from Nehemiah. And it would be really easy just to read that prayer and move on to the next chapter, but I want to really look at that today and see what we can learn from that prayer. So, so let's not waste any time. Let's jump in. Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. I want to encourage you to open your Bibles, open your Bible app or your laptop or wherever you like to read the Bible, because I want to encourage you to read these words along with me, because we know the Bible tells us that we should hear the word and we should also read the word. So, so let's do that together. It says, the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakali, in the month of Kislev, in the twelfth year, when I was in the citadel of Susa. It says, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. So basically what has happened here is Nehemiah has sent out this kind of fact-finding mission to, to find out what's going on in the city of Jerusalem. Now, just to give you a little bit of background, we know that what's happening, right, is we know that in waves now, the people have been coming back from exile, from the exile in Babylon. So they're coming back kind of in waves. One wave comes back, and then the next wave comes back, and the next wave comes back. And this has been going on for decades at the point that we find this story. So Nehemiah wants to know, well, what's kind of the state of the city, right? Because remember, the city, Jerusalem, was a very important city in this time and this place. It's where the temple was. It was thought to be the dwelling place of God. This was an important place and an important time. And Nehemiah wants to know, well, what's, what exactly is going on over there? So he sends this group out to find out what's going on. It says, they said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. It says, the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So the report isn't good, right? The report that he's getting isn't good. The walls have been broken down and the gates have been burned. Now, if you look at what this might have, this might have looked like, this picture on the right would be kind of the before, right? Before the walls were broken down and the gates were burned. And if you saw that very first slide I had up, it showed the city of Jerusalem with the walls crumbling and the gates burned. So let's think about that for just a moment, right? Walls were important, right? Walls were used for defense, right? That's how you kept people safe. You brought them inside the walls of the city. It was also a place of commerce. Around the walls and at the gates of the city is where vendors would have been to buy and sell and trade. So this would have been an important place. And it's also the meeting place of the elders and the leaders, So let's think about that for just a moment. The walls have been broken down and the gates have been burned. Now, if you think about that, we got to think about this time and place, right? The walls would have been stone and the gates would have been wooden. So they burned the gates down. So there's no longer a wall protecting the city. 
There's no longer gates to keep people from coming and going as they pleased. And they had just let this happen. Because remember, this has been decades of time have gone by since the exiles started to return, and this story takes place. And some scholars put it at like 70 to 80 years from the time that the, the first exiles had returned to the point that this story was probably written. And nobody had rebuilt the walls. Think about your home. Think about the place that you live. You probably take pride in your home, right? You want your home to look nice. You want it to be nice. You take pride in your home. You mow your yard. If your front gate's broken, you fix it, right? If your fence falls over, you put it back up. You paint the front of your house. You take pride in it. Well, these people had returned to Jerusalem and done nothing, if you do a little bit more research and a couple of commentaries that I was reading, it, it talks about the fact that when these people came back, they took care of their own homes, but they didn't take care of the city itself. This troubled Nehemiah, as well it should. These people had returned to the temple and to the city of Jerusalem, the dwelling place of God, and basically just said, oh well, who cares? Not my problem. And it also says that they were living in a way that was not pleasing to God. So this troubles Nehemiah greatly. So how does Nehemiah react to this? It immediately says that he sat down because Nehemiah was so shaken to his core that he couldn't even stand. See, the people, when they came back to Jerusalem had kind of gone off the rails, so to speak. They had started doing things that were not according to God's plan. Now, one of the big issues is that they had been marrying people outside of their culture. Now, don't misunderstand that. I'm not saying interracial, because there's no problem with interracial marriage, of course. I'm talking about people outside of their culture, outside of what we would call their religion. So here's the problem with that. The problem is they had been marrying people who were, uh, that were pagans. And their, their marriages had caused them to start doing things that were opposed to God's will. See, that's where the problem is. And that's when the Bible talks about being equally yoked. It's not talking about economics. It's not talking about race. It's not talking about background. It's talking about marrying someone who's going to help you stay the course. It's about marrying someone who's going to let you get closer to Jesus instead of pulling you farther away from Jesus. I've seen this happen, where someone who is a Christian will marry someone who is not a Christian. Now, can that work? Of course it can. Don't read me wrong here. It can work, but unfortunately it's rare. Because what tends to happen is that someone who is a strong Christian marries someone who is not a Christian, and they slowly start to pull them away from Jesus. That's what was happening back in Nehemiah's time, is they were marrying people who were idol worshipers, and they were marrying people who didn't live according to God's plan. And they were slowly being pulled away from that to the point now where basically they felt like the entire city was no longer part of God's plan. This city that at one point was the dwelling place of God, who would have been what we would think of as the pinnacle of Christianity, we're now so far away that Nehemiah couldn't even stand up. He 
He literally had to sit down and he wept. When's the last time that something hit you so hard that you got weak in the knees and you literally had to sit down and cry? He was brokenhearted. This news of the state that Jerusalem was in broke his heart. Now, if you're not familiar with Nehemiah, just to give you just a little bit of background, Nehemiah was actually the cupbearer to the king. Now, that's important only from the standpoint of he held a high position. And sometimes when we think of the cupbearer, we think, oh, he's the taste tester, right? Because he would take the cup and drink from it. And if he didn't die, right, he would give it to the king. But it was so much more than that. Nehemiah actually had become a trusted advisor to the king. He was kind of the second in command, so to speak, to the king. If you wanted to go talk to the king, you had to go through Nehemiah first. So despite the fact that Nehemiah had a lot on his plate, right, and Nehemiah had a lot of important responsibilities, when he heard this news, it broke his heart. When we read the passage, it says, for days he wept. When is the last time that something happened that shook us to the core to the point that we sat down and wept for days. There's a lot of things going on. There's a lot of crazy things going on in our world right now. And sometimes it can be overwhelming. And that's where exactly where Nehemiah was. Nehemiah was in this place, right, where where so much had happened, he didn't know what to do other than to sit down and to cry. The temple was in ruins. God's city had been destroyed, and the people were off the rails. This is what I love. When Nehemiah didn't know what else to do, he prayed. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there? You you get such overwhelming news, you don't know what to do. Well, Nehemiah knew what to do. He immediately prayed. He didn't go get a drink of water and go watch TV for a little bit. No, he immediately prayed. And I want to read this prayer to you. It says, Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, The great and awesome God. See, he's recognizing God's position, God's place. Says, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Says, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant is praying before you. Day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. It says, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. Now, now I love this, and this is just the beginning of his prayer, but there's so much good stuff here, right? He begins by acknowledging who God is, by giving God his proper place. And he talks about that those who love him, right? He shows that love that he has for God. He asks God to please hear His prayers. And then I love this second part. I love this second part where Nehemiah is humble. He he, he doesn't say, forgive those sinners over there. 
He doesn't say, forgive those terrible people who have done terrible things. He says, forgive me. Forgive me and my household. Forgive me for what I've done. See, it's so easy to point that finger, right? That guy and that girl. And look at what those people are doing. But it starts here. And Nehemiah knew that. He was humble and said, Lord, forgive me for the things that I've done. It would have been easy for him to say this prayer and say, God, I just can't believe what these idiots have done. Could you just fix this? Could you just take care of that? But he didn't. He says, forgive me, because Nehemiah got it, that it starts with him. Let's go ahead and continue in verses 7. It says, we have acted very wickedly towards you. Again, there's that we word, right? He's not saying you or them. He's saying we, us. It says, we have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws that you gave to your servant Moses. Again, he's talking about those Ten Commandments, right? He's talking about they are not following the Ten Commandments, those basic things, right? It says, remember the instructions you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Again, it would be really easy just to read through this and be like, oh, that's a cool prayer. But there's so much good stuff here. I love when he says, remember the instructions that you gave to your servant Moses. Does that hit anybody else just a little bit strange that he's reminding God of something? Why would he do that? God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. Why would Nehemiah remind him of the promises that he made? I don't think that's what he's doing. I think what he's doing is he's saying, God, look, I've studied and I know and I understand those things that you said to Moses. He's saying, I got it. I got the message, God. More than he's saying, hey, in case you've forgotten, because I don't think that's what he's doing. It's like if somebody comes up to me after a lesson and says, hey, I really enjoyed your sermon. And I say, oh, great, what was your favorite part? And they go, uh, have a nice Sunday. But when somebody says, oh, that part about this really touched me, then that's impactful to me. And I think that's exactly what he's doing with God. He's saying, God, look, I'm paying attention. I know the rules, and I know that we haven't done your will. So where do we go from here? And then I love that he says, he, he says that even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I love that, that visual of the farthest horizon, I grew up in, in Illinois in a place that's very flat, and you can see a long way because there's no mountains and there's no hills, right? The farthest horizon. He's basically saying, look, God, even though your exiles are scattered as far as they can possibly be, if they'll just obey, you will bring them back. You will welcome them back to the fold. Does the prodigal son come to mind for anybody else? And I'm not going to get into that for time purposes, but most of you know the story of the prodigal son. He says, hey, father, give me my inheritance. I'm going to go do my thing. And he runs off, right, takes the money and runs. And, of course, we know that that doesn't end well. 
And what happens? He comes back from the faraway place, and his father welcomes him with open arms. And that's exactly what Nehemiah is talking about. Yes, my people, our people have screwed up, and they've been scattered in exile. But all they've got to do is obey, and that's what Nehemiah is praying about. He's praying about restoration. He's praying about revival. Let's go ahead and jump into verse 10. It says, They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength of your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. It says, Give your servants success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. It says, I was cupbearer to the king. Now, just a little more background about Nehemiah. Nehemiah wasn't a priest. He wasn't from a line of priests. He, he was a quote-unquote layman, which I hate that word, layman. Because at the end of the day, right, we are all called to be ministers. We are all called to share the gospel. We are all called to make disciples. So there really isn't any such thing as a layman or a laywoman or however you want to call it. We're all doing the work of God. Just because you don't work at a church or you don't work for a church or maybe you're not an official volunteer, it doesn't matter. Nehemiah was a layman. He wasn't a priest. He actually had a very important other job to attend to. But God said, oh, no, no, wait, I've got a bigger plan for Nehemiah. And I'm going to use him, and we're, and we're going to see this as we, as we unpack the rest of the book of Nehemiah. We're going to see that God uses Nehemiah in such a big, powerful way. But he wasn't a prophet. He wasn't a priest. He was a cupbearer to the king who God said, hey, I'm going to use you. And, and I love, I love the, the end of this where, where Nehemiah prays for success. He says, give your servant success today by granting me favor in the presence of this man. Do we ever do that? Do we ever say, God, just use me today. Find a way to use me. Now, I'll warn you, be careful what you pray for. Because he will. <laughs> like I always tell people, don't ever pray for patience, because God will give you things to be patient about. But do we ever just pray, God, find a way today to use me for the kingdom. Find a way today for me to make a difference in someone else's life. Find a way for me to show Christ to other people. Do we pray that prayer? Do we pray that prayer? And do we pray like Nehemiah did for success in our endeavors? I hope that we do. But this is such a powerful prayer. And there are so many elements of this prayer that we can use in our daily prayer life. I have people say to me sometimes, they say, I'd really like to pray more. I'm just not sure how. There are so many examples in the Bible of prayers. And you can steal it. It's not plagiarism. But you can use these as the framework for your own prayers in your own circumstances to build that relationship with God. And I just love this prayer so much. And it's one that gets skipped over quite a bit when people are reading through the Bible. Because it's easy just to read that and move on to find out what happens next in the story. But so much good stuff. So much good stuff. He goes to God 
And it says that he prayed for days. It wasn't just a one-time prayer. Hey, God, I need your help. Can you do this? Cool. No. He prayed this prayer for days. And he fasted. And he mourned. If you haven't tried fasting, it's a great way to recenter and refocus yourself on God. And obviously you have to do it in a safe manner. Um, and, and you know your health and your situation. But, but pick a day and say, I'm going to fast from noon to eight. I'm going to fast from sunup to sundown. And the whole idea is when you're thinking about how much you want food, is you reframe that thinking to thinking about Jesus and the amazing things that he's done for you. Or that you spend that time in prayer or in meditation or in Bible reading. But it can be a powerful tool to help you refocus and recenter and revitalize yourself in your relationship with God. That's what Nehemiah did. He prayed and he fasted and he mourned. Some could say, wow, a lot of the things you're talking about there in the, in the city of Jerusalem sounds a lot like what's going on in our country right now. And I would agree with you. So maybe we need to spend some more time in prayer and in fasting and in mourning. So let's look at just a, just a couple of bullet points about Nehemiah's prayer and why it's so important and impactful. He acknowledged the greatness of God. He acknowledged the greatness of God. God already knows he's great. But when we acknowledge it, that's how we worship him. That's when we say, God, you're amazing. Thank you so much for what you've done in my life. He reminded God and himself of his promises. And again, he was more reminding himself and reminding God that, hey, I've been paying attention than he was reminding God. God doesn't need to be reminded, so to speak. He confessed his own personal sins. Throughout the Bible, we read about humility and the importance of being humble, just as Christ was humble. If you think about the life of Jesus, if there was ever a guy who didn't have to be humble, it was him, right? He was the son of God. He had these amazing abilities and these amazing powers to heal the, the sick and afflicted and to teach. If anybody didn't have to be humble, it would have been Jesus. I mean, he was the one perfect person after all. Right? We all know those people who think they're perfect, right? But we know that Jesus is the only perfect person ever to come to this earth. But he was humble. Paul tells us in one of his, his epistles, emulate me as I emulate Jesus. Jesus was humble. We need to be humble. We need to remember not to point the finger at everybody else, but to look at our own lives. Look at what's going on inside. Be humble, especially when we talk to God. Prayer changes things, but it also changes you. We're, we just started a new year. And that means, of course, new things, right? We make these New Year's resolutions where we say, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to quit smoking. I'm going to quit drinking. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be a better Christian. I'm going to read my Bible every day. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to ride my bike more. What a great time to think about our prayer life. What a great time to refocus our prayer life. Because, see, things change when we pray. 
I believe that. I believe that prayer changes things. But I also believe that it changes us. Because when we go to God, right, and say, God, I can't do this on my own. God, I want to have a relationship with you. God, I want to love you the way that you love me. It changes us. It makes a big change in us. I don't want to encourage you, if that wasn't one of your, your, your new, new year, new me resolutions that you made this year, focus on that prayer life. Because you can never talk to God too much. Because he wants to hear from you. We often think of God as, as Heavenly Father. So those of you who are parents... And maybe your parents have, have grown kids who are not in the house anymore. You still want to hear from those kids every day? Of course you do. God is the same way. He wants to have a relationship with us. And the way that we do that is by talking to God. And not just when things are bad. But do we check in with God throughout the day? Hey God, thanks so much for what you've given us. Hey, God, I'm having a rough day. Could you use some extra strength today? Or do we just pray at meals or at bedtime? Nehemiah prayed immediately. He heard this bad news, and he didn't say, oh, woe is me. Or you know what? I'm kind of busy right now. I am the cupbearer to the king after all. No, he stopped what he was doing and sat down or kneeled down, and he prayed because he knew that was the starting point. So what do we take away from this very short first chapter of Nehemiah? One, revival starts with us. It starts with me. And see, Nehemiah knew that. And that's why Nehemiah, when he lifted up his voice to God, said, forgive me, help me, because he knew he could be that catalyst to revival. But it starts with us. We're always waiting for somebody else, right? We're waiting for somebody else to fix things. We're waiting for somebody else to do things. I want the church to grow, but I'm not out inviting people to church. Revival starts with us. We got to work on ourselves so that we can then help others and help our neighbors and help our church and help our nation rebuild. We got to use the tools that we have. And I just listed prayer and fasting as a couple. We could have made a much longer list than this. But use that tool of prayer that you have just like Nehemiah did. Use that tool of fasting if it helps you to gain a better relationship with God. And last of all, and probably most importantly, and I've said this a couple times because I think it's super important, don't make a plan and then pray for God to do something about it. Pray to God for direction, then make a plan, and you'll be more successful. Nehemiah had a huge task ahead of him. Rebuilding the city was not going to be an easy task. Getting the people back on track, not going to be an easy task. But he didn't say, this is what I want to do, and then pray, God, make this work. No. He prayed to God first, and then he made a plan. As a youth minister, I, I talk to kids all the time, and the, the kind of half-joking, half-serious thing I always tell them is, look, you can't pray for an A and study for a C. It doesn't work, right? Because that's what they want to do, right? Oh, I don't want to study for the test. I'll just pray, and God will give me an A. It doesn't work that way. We still have to do our part is the point that I'm making. 
If I'm going to pray to God for an A on a test, I've got to study for an A too. If I'm going to pray to God for revival, if I'm going to pray to God for renewal, guess what? i still got to do my part. I can't just say, God, fix everything, please. Thanks. It doesn't work that way. Pray first, make a plan, and get to work. If Nehemiah could do the things that he did, and we're going to see those over the next few weeks, then we can make a difference right here as well. I want to transition now into a time of invitation. And then next week, of course, we'll, we'll pick up where we left off here, and we'll start with Nehemiah chapter 2. Maybe you need revival in your life. Maybe you need revitalization in your life. Maybe, like the exiles, you have wandered off the path or gotten pulled off the path, and you want to come back to Jesus Christ. You have an opportunity this morning. In just a moment, we're going to stand together and we're going to sing. And you have an opportunity to come forward. We would love to talk with you. We would love to pray with you and help you get on that path of revival. Or maybe you've never been baptized. You've never been baptized for the forgiveness of sins. And to receive that gift of the Holy Spirit, there's no reason to wait another day. The baptistry is full. It's warm. We have clothes for you. We have towels. We would love to baptize you so that you can start on that path, on that road to Jesus Christ. If we can help you in any way, I want to invite you to come forward as we stand together and as we sing. Going afar, Going afar upon the mountain, bringing the wonder back again, into the fold of my Redeemer. I want to thank Brandon for picking the perfect song as we wrap up today's lesson. And we're talking about bringing the wanderers back again. I want to remind you just briefly about our Wednesday night Bible study at 7 o'clock. That takes place over Zoom. If you keep an eye on your email this week, uh, Miss Alicia will send you out the link. And we would love to have you join us as we... Uh, continue our study through the book of Romans. And then next Sunday morning, we'll be back at 1015 for our children's worship. At 1030, we'll have our main worship service, and we'll continue our study on the book of Nehemiah. Would you please join me in a word of closing prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful day, and we thank you for this opportunity that we had to just come together today, Heavenly Father, to spend time in community and in fellowship with one another. And we're just thankful that we have the technology that those who are not able to be with us could still join us and be part of our church family this morning. Heavenly Father, as we get ready to go our separate ways, we pray that you will just help us to remember how Nehemiah just immediately came to you in prayer. And Heavenly Father, when we find ourselves in those situations where we don't know what to do, remind us that we should pray to you and that you love us and you care for us and that you're always there. Heavenly Father, most of all, we thank you for sending your Son, not because we were deserving of that amazing sacrifice, but only out of your great love for us. It's in Christ's precious name that we pray. Amen. Well, thank you so much for being with us. Have a great week. Looking above my aim is higher, trusting in him is my desire. Making the day today requires him. All I ever wanted was truth. All I ever needed. 
all that I need is mercy, making me free from sin. All that I want is Jesus. All that I want is Him. All that I need is mercy, making me free from sin. Do you want to know Him? Knowing the truth no longer, guessing every morning I'm confessing. Daily I'm thanking you for blessing me. Taking control, he feels my yearning Now that I know there's much I'm learning Knowing my Lord will soon return for me All I ever knew had no use All I ever need comes from you All that I want is Jesus All that I want is Him All that I need is mercy Making me free from sin all that I want is Jesus. All that I want is Him. All that I need is mercy. Making me free from sin.